listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If you have a Bible, let's go to uh, Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10. If you are a first-time guest, let me welcome you. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Paragould. And uh, on behalf of our church, we want to welcome you this morning. We know you could have been uh, in bed or uh, probably a million other places, but yet you chose to be here. And so uh, we do not take that lightly. Our hope is that you go from feeling like a guest to feeling like family, to feeling connected as soon as possible. And so um, if you want to learn more about our church, you can go to fellowshipparagold.com. You can learn more about us there, or you can grab one of these Connect cards on your way out. You can fill out some information about yourself, um, and you can turn that in to me, and I will connect with you on your terms, not my terms. And so if you say on there you want me to text you or, or call you or make a personal visit or email you, we'll be sure and connect with you in that way. And so, uh, again, we are so excited to have you with us. Um, this morning's going to be a little bit different. Um, and <laughs> if you're around us very long, you'll know we are different in, in, in some ways. And um, uh, it, it, so let me just say this. If you are a guest or if you are a non-Christian, uh, this is your first time here, um, we were supposed to be this morning in a series that we've entitled uh, The Emotionally Healthy Life, uh, but the pastors have called an audible on that. And um, instead, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about really kind of where we are as a church uh, where we hope to be going as a church. And um, honestly, uh, again, if you're a non-Christian or you're a guest, you're not a, a member of this church, um, this topic's going to seem like it doesn't really relate to you in some ways. And, and there is some stuff that I'm going to say that uh, certainly is, is not um, uh, applicable to you. Um, but this is a very relevant message for everybody here, no matter if you've been a part of fellowship from the very beginning or if this is your very first Sunday, because um, what you're going to be able to do is you're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at our family. Uh, this morning. And so uh, we want to be pastors who are open and honest. And we want to create a culture of authenticity here. Uh, we don't want to hide anything from you. And so uh, you're going to get a behind the scenes look of, of kind of uh, what's going on in our family. And, and really, you're going to get a, a glimpse at what our passion is as a church. And so um, hopefully um, that will be an encouragement to you. And also, hopefully you will leave uh, understanding more about who Jesus really is and what he is calling his church to. Okay. And so um, I I want to pray for us um, before we, we dive into what we're going to talk about this morning. Father, I do thank you so much for each person that is here today. I know that nobody got up early just to hear some information. We're here and we need our lives changed. We need our hearts to be tethered to you. We need more to believe your gospel. We need more to believe that you are who you say you are and You've done everything that you said you're going to do, and your promises are certain. They are sure. I pray that in this time that we have together, Holy Spirit, that you will take these words and that I'm going to share and Rusty and Luke in just a moment. And if we have anything that's going to come out of our mouth that is offensive or is not from you, then shut our mouths. And we ask that you will just speak through us what you want your people to hear this morning. And it will be good. It will be for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so according to thearta.com, it's a religious surveying company, um, in 2000, Paragould uh, reported 55% of people in this county, or Green County actually reported 55% of people living here are involved in some sort of church. 
okay, of, of some denomination, 55%. But according to 2010, which is the latest census they have, latest reports, um, that is dropped by 5%. So now, uh, according to 2010, only 50% of people in Greene County claim to be connected to some church of some denomination. And what I would submit to you this morning is of the 50% who claim to be involved in some sort of religious activity, I would say a good percentage of them probably aren't connected to a church. And I would say that even if they are a good percentage, um, does not experience a joy-filled, life-giving relationship with the real Jesus that we see in the Scripture. And in fact, if you're anything like me, you possibly even have some friends who have prayed a prayer or claim to be Christians. But if you look at their lives, it's pretty obvious they're burnt out on the church. Um, and uh, to be honest, right, they're, they're, they're settling for counterfeit joys in the world that will never really satisfy them. And the reason that is, we believe, is because there are many people in our context who have been sold on a counterfeit Jesus. Uh, a Jesus who is weak, a Jesus who is boring, a Jesus who is just religious, a Jesus who is unable to help us at all. In fact, that is why he only changes our Sunday mornings and nothing beyond that. The good news is there is a real Jesus. And the reason we exist as a church, the reason we planted Fellowship Paragold is because we want every man, woman, and child in our city and beyond to meet the real Jesus. Unlike the counterfeit Jesus, the real Jesus is good news. He's good news to all of life. He's good news to the broken. He's good news to the burnt out. He's good news to the hopelessly lost. The real resurrected King Jesus, the Jesus we find in the Bible, he's not just a ticket that we have to get out of hell. The real Jesus, the Bible says, is a treasure chest of joy that cannot be shaken or broken by even the largest storms that we will face on earth. The real Jesus is worth us giving our entire lives to. And I hope if you are here this morning and you are a member of this church, you would say amen in your hearts. Yes, I have met the real Jesus. I love the real Jesus. And I want to make him known to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to my family, to my friends, the people our missional community are trying to reach. I want people all over to know this Jesus. This is why we exist as a church. And you see, we are convinced that if we are ever going to make the real Jesus known, if we are ever going to be a vehicle that God uses to advance his gospel to people in the city and beyond, there are four specific areas that we must focus on. Or if you think about the church as a vehicle that advances the gospel, it might be helpful to think about this. There are four wheels all right, that we need to ensure are balanced, are aired up, and are all rolling together to make sure the vehicle is moving forward so that the real Jesus can be made known to every man, woman, and child in our city. And so to help us, uh, if you're a visual learner at all like me, what I want to do is I want to throw a picture on the screen for you, and I'm going to attempt to draw it in just a moment because so we're going to have to take the picture down. And um, yes, I am going to attempt to draw that. Um, we're going to take the picture down, and I'm going to have it on the board for you because I'm going to point to some stuff and you're going to need to see um, but if you think about these four wheels that need to be balanced, that need to be healthy, that need to be aired up for us to continue to move forward in making the real Jesus known, we have the area of gather or the will of gather, 
we have the go wheel, the grow wheel, and the give wheel. Okay, these are all wheels that have to be working together if we are going to be moving forward as a church. And so let me explain what I mean by gather, go, grow, give. We believe if we're going to make the real Jesus known in our city, it is very important that each week we gather just like this to have preaching about who the real Jesus is, to sing songs about the real Jesus, to take communion, which is a tangible reminder of what the real Jesus has done for us. Right? We believe that if we are going to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, if we are going to enjoy him more, it's important for us to come together and be reminded each week of the gospel. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z. We've got to get past this idea of, okay, I've got the gospel, now what's next? We don't ever move away from the gospel, guys. We just move deeper into it. And the gathering helps us do that. Another wheel that's very important that we need to make sure is balanced and moving forward in order for the vehicle to move forward is the area of go. And what we mean by that is as a church, we don't think if, if we're going to make the real Jesus known that we just set up shop here each Sunday and say, hey, if you want to know about the real Jesus, come to Cinema 8, the end, right? We think that more than just gathering, right, we're to scatter out into our city throughout the week. We're to go in the context of our missional communities as we try to, to show people a picture of real Jesus. We're to go in our neighborhoods. We're to walk across the street. We're to talk to the person next to us to show them the love of Christ, to show them how good he really is and to point them towards his life, death, and resurrection and what that means for them. We are to be a people who go forward. We believe also as a church, if we're going to make the real Jesus known, we need to make sure that this wheel, this, this grow wheel, is healthy and it's balanced. And what I mean by that is we need as a church, as people, to say, you know what, I'm not just going to depend on these pastors each week to teach me and that's going to be my only time that I ever learn about Jesus, but I'm going to take responsibility for my own spiritual growth. I'm going to learn how to study the Bible. I'm going to spend time in, in prayer. I'm going to get in fight clubs and fight my sin. I'm not just going to take responsibility for, for my growth. I want to take responsibility for the growth of my brothers and sisters around me as well. We've that's very important if we're going to make the real Jesus known in our city, that, that we're growing and looking more and more like the real Jesus ourselves, right? And then finally, I would just say this wheel of, of, of we'll call it the give wheel, Right? In order for us to move forward, right? in order for the vehicle to continue to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we are a church that rejects consumeristic Christianity. That rejects this idea that the church primarily exists for me more than it exists for God. Because that is a lie. Right? That's American Christianity, and we need to kill it when we see any hint of it. The church does not primarily exist for us, but it exists for the purpose of making God's glory known, spreading his fame throughout the nations. And one of the ways that we do that is by giving of ourselves, by giving of our time when we serve, by, by giving of our spiritual gifts, which we've preached on here recently, and by giving of our finances so that we can continue to fund the mission that God has given us. Now, um, I'm going to try to draw this, and, and you can laugh if you want. That's okay. Someone told me this past week, they're like, it looks like an elephant. Put that back up there. I need the, that's like my reference. Someone told me this past week, it looks like an elephant. I was like, you look like an elephant. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. What kind of pastor would say that? <laughs> uh, that goes there. Okay, so these are my wheels. All right, there's that. I am not an artist. I am a pastor. Hey. 
All right, there's that. There's that. What is over here? Another wheel. Okay. There we go. All right. All right. And then we've got uh, gather. This wheel's go. We're going to say this one's grow. And this one is give. Okay, can you pull that down now? All right, what I want you to see, because we're going to put up some other... Good job, buddy. I appreciate that, guys. Um... <laughs> um, all right, so here's what I want you to see is like a, a typical vehicle, if you have a tire that goes flat or begins to get wobbly, it puts strain on the other tires and therefore will put strain on the entire vehicle. The same is true when it comes to the church. If in one of these areas we begin to neglect it, Right? It's going to put strain on the entire vehicle and specifically on the entire church. Specifically for us right now, um, this is an area that the wheel has not fallen off, but it's getting a little wobbly. And because of that, it is creating tension here, here, and really we're noticing a lot of it right here. Okay? And again, if there's tension created in these areas, if because we don't give well, right, it's going to affect these areas, what does that ultimately mean? Right? The vehicle stops moving forward, and we stop actually being able to make the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child in our city. Okay? And if we're okay with that, we are this far right, from going backwards or parking the car in the garage and letting it rust, and eventually we'll just be kind of a flash in the pan, right? And, and It'll just be a matter of time before we're done here, okay? My hope is that we will continue to move forward, to continue to make the real Jesus known, okay? And so um, that's why I want to share with you some stats that I'm about to share, okay? So, so Ryan, can we throw that first graphic on the screen? This is the present reality in Fellowship Paragold. Um, on a non-vacation Sunday, right, we have, on average, 200-plus people that show up at the cinema, okay? 200 plus people every Sunday. We currently have six missional communities that are compiled of 206 people. And we've, to this date, baptized 24 adults. And what I'm really excited about is the fact that 21 of those 24 are still around today. Isn't that awesome? Like a lot of times, like, you know, you just try to kind of manipulate someone to make a, a, a you know, pray a prayer and they pray it. And it's like, I don't really care if they stick. Like, let's just create some spiritual orphans and let them go. Like, that's not what's happened here. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal percentage that the people we are baptizing are sticking around so they can get involved in a missional community and grow in Christ's likeness. Okay, so we should look at that and we should celebrate that. It's amazing. All right, so now go to the next graphic. This is a picture of the last 12 months. Over the last 12 months, and we took these from June 2014 to June 2015, we have experienced a 42% growth in our Sunday attendance. Just to put that in perspective for you, 80% of churches in America right now are declining. Um, and if you experience 12% growth or higher than that, it is considered superb, excellent, like spectacular growth. And we have experienced 42%. We have gone from, in uh, June 2014, to averaging about 155 a Sunday, that's men, women, and children, to June 2015, we averaged 100, or, I mean, sorry, 210 people. So 42% growth. That, that's unbelievable. Um, we also, which I get even more excited about this, have experienced a 23% growth 
in missional communities. In June 2014, we only had 168 involved in missional communities. In June of 2015, uh, we had 206 involved in missional communities. So that's amazing. People aren't just showing up and, and saying, I just want to hear a preacher preach, listen to a praise band, and I'm done. No, they're getting connected. Okay, so again, let's celebrate this. Right? This is amazing. Like, I hope you understand, like, this is what we're all involved in. Like, this has not happened just because of Luke or because of Rusty or just because of me. This has happened because we as a family have taken seriously the call of God in our life. We have taken ownership and we have moved forward together. And God is blessing what is going on here. And I hope you see that. And I hope you understand, like, God has done more here in three years than most churches ever get to experience in a lifetime. So let's not take that for granted, and let's not get arrogant, thinking we've come across something and we figured it out, like it's all God's grace on our life. So let's celebrate that. Now, if you notice, though, because of the growth rate, on a typical Sunday, right, before we dismiss our kids, um, we are at a 91% capacity here, okay? Now, most people in the church growth world will say, if you're going to continue to reach people beyond your church, beyond your walls, if you're going to invite more people in, right, to hear the gospel preach and to sing, you need to be out of the place you're in or find a, 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 a way to solve your space issue once you get to the 80% range. Once you're at about 75, 80% range, they say you're going to begin to be stagnant and people are going to stop showing up because they don't like the idea of just being all crammed together or maybe thinking if we've got a family of five or whatever, like, okay, two of you are going to sit here, I'll sit there, two of you sit there, that sort of thing, right? And so, I mean, you can even see that right now. If we had a family of five that came in, I think we wouldn't be able to sit together, okay? And so that's a, that's a reality. Now, that's still a good problem to have, but let's go to the next graphic, if you don't mind, all right? This is where the challenge comes in. As pastors, we really, right, have always said from the beginning, we're going to invest in people over programs and buildings, but that doesn't mean that we don't like buildings or that we should not ever be in a, a, another building, right? Again, this gathering piece is important to us in order to make the real Jesus known, and so for us, it's important that we get a facility large enough to where we can create more space so more people can come in and hear the gospel proclaimed. The problem is... Despite the fact that we've looked at a couple of different facilities, and one of them very closely, that we believe is a real possibility for us, it's not too far out of our reach, we still can't act on it and move out of the cinema because of this challenge right here. And I want to share this with you, not to shame you, but again, just to show you reality. We're family, and just like I would come to my wife or my kids and say, look guys, we can't go on vacation this year because here's the reality, that's just what I'm doing right here, okay? Um... The national average in America for churches is most churches in America, on average, are getting thirty-seven to forty-five dollars per adult per week. Thirty-seven dollars per adult, or yeah, thirty-seven to forty-five dollars per adult per week. Our church is currently bringing in twenty-four dollars per adult per week. Um, that means we are thirteen dollars below even the low end average of what most churches are bringing in. Okay, now. We look at that and we say, wow, that's, that's not great, okay? And I think we can all own that together. Um, but what I want you to see is this. If you go to the next slide, I think it's the last slide we have. In just a minute, Russ is going to come up and talk about the importance of being obedient in the area of giving. But what I want you to see is as we begin to work towards obedience in this area, I want you to just see what we can do as a church by just a small adjustment, by just a small sacrifice, if we could increase from even $24 per adult per week to $30 per adult per week, that means an additional $6 a week. That's, 
per day. That's a, that's a McDonald's meal, right? That, that's change you can find on your couch. We could bring in an extra $65,500 a year. And I just want you to know, like, that's a mortgage payment, right? Like, that, that is a new facility, right? And not just for us to make a great name for ourselves, but again, so that these things can work together, these wheels, so that we can make the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child in our city. And I hope you get excited about this. Because it's not like we're sitting up here saying, everybody needs to give an extra $20,000 this year, right? We're saying, man, $6, $6, and we are able to get out, to create more space so that more people can come in and hear about the gospel and get plugged into missional communities and grow in Christ's likeness. Now, some of you may hear this, and you can take that down if you want. You hear this and you might say, okay, um, that's great for you guys. Uh, yeah, I love this church, but, but I don't care what you say. Um, I'm still not giving. Or maybe I will give a little bit here and there whenever I can, when the money's left over or whatever. Um, but I don't really plan on giving to this local church. What I want you to hear is this. Please hear this. More than this being between you and us as the pastors... This is between you and Jesus. And, and here's what I, what I mean by that, okay? If you look in Mark chapter 10, real quickly, I want to just share this. Mark chapter 10, a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, and he says to him, verse 17, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So you hear that question, right? This man has it all. He has the nice house, he has the nice cars, he has the iPhone, right? He, he, he has the opportunity to go on vacation anytime he wants, and yet he still says, Jesus, I don't have everything. Jesus, I'm not completely happy. I'm not really satisfied with all the things I have here on earth. So how do I get a life beyond this? How do I have an eternal life? How can I be satisfied is really what he's asking Jesus. I want you to look at his response, verse 18. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So there he's just listing out the commandments for him. And then look what this man says, verse 20. And he said, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And so not only is this a rich guy, this is a law-abiding guy. This is a guy on the outside who looks really good. He, he's obeying all of the laws, okay? He, like Paul in Philippians 2, would be able to say, I'm blameless, okay? And you would think at this point, you'd just be, oh, awesome. Well, good. You're good to go. But that's not what he says. Look what he says next. He says, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, look at this. He loved him. He loved him. And he said this, you, he's saying this in love, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. He says, then come and follow me. A man comes to Jesus, let's get this, and he just wants to know, how do I be saved? That's all he wants to know. He just wants to know, how do I get to heaven? And this looks like a botched evangelism job by Jesus himself, doesn't it? I mean, if somebody came to you and said, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? How can I be saved? What would you think you should do, right? Uh, share the gospel. Oh, well, Jesus came and lived the perfect life you could never live. He died the death you deserve to die. Then he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, so that you, if you repent of your sins and believe in him, can have eternal life. Yes or no? 
That's not what Jesus does. What is he doing here? I mean, it looks like Jesus is promoting works righteousness. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Sell everything. And then you can have heaven. What is he doing here? Well, here's what he's doing. Jesus is trying to get to this man's heart. And what he is saying to this man is, listen to this, if you treasure your stuff more than you treasure me, you will never have treasure in heaven. He's saying to this man, if you treasure your stuff more than you treasure me, that means you are making your stuff your God. It is your master. And as he will go on to say later, you cannot, you cannot possibly serve God and money. Jesus says, I either come as your Lord or I don't come at all. And the way to know if you want me to be the Lord of your life is by looking at how you spend your money. And then in verse 22, it says, The man walked away disheartened. He walked away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. He walked away sad because ultimately he wasn't willing to give up what Jesus asked him to give up. Rather than seeing his stuff as a gift from God, he seed his stuff as God, and therefore he could not comprehend giving up what Jesus had told him to because he felt like he needed that stuff more than he needed Jesus. But you see, I'm not concerned with the rich young ruler. I'm concerned about you and me. And my question this morning is, if this was you, how would you have responded? If Jesus asked you this morning to give up everything, would you be willing to do it? And I know for some of you are saying, well, he's not calling us to give up everything. Okay, maybe he's not. But there are things in Scripture that he has clearly called you to do with your money and to say no is to walk in step with the rich young ruler away from the eternal joy that is found in Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to ask Rusty, if he will, to come up and I want to make sure as a church, because I'm not sure that we are, I want to make sure we are absolutely clear on what Jesus' teaching is on finances, Okay? And so with that in mind, Rusty, if you don't mind, come forward, and I want you to share what that is. All right. A lot of fun talking about money, isn't it? <laughs> Hello? All right, here we go. Well, Jared's giving you the motivation. Luke, in a second, is going to give you some implementation, and I want to give you some information, but you're going to have to listen really carefully because what we want you to see is we're just not shooting from the hip so it's not just like okay it'd be great if we were able to get into a space so we could invite more of our friends and neighbors and not feel uncomfortable about that so we need to talk about giving or it's not because a uh, elephant in the room that a couple of us get paid for this to be our jobs that hey we need to talk about giving so that we're able to get income no i think what we should all see is that whether we, somebody gave us a building tomorrow and we needed no money whatsoever that God still calls us to give to him as an act of worship. And this is exactly what the story of the rich young ruler is about, about what it means to follow Jesus as an act of worship in what we give. So for a second, just strip away the need and let's just look at the word of God. And as we look through the scriptures, I think what we see is a starting point because sometimes you can get lost in all this, sell all you have. And I think that does need to be our heart attitude. But where do we practically start? 
And I think what the Bible teaches us to do, and this is what we practice as elders in our bank accounts, in our budgets, are open for all of you to see what we give. We're not calling you to something that we don't already practice. And so we call you to this. Our belief in practice is that the starting point that the Scripture gives is to give 10% of our gross income, that is, before anything else is taken out, to the ministry and the mission of the whole church. So let me just say that again, because that's where we want to build from. To give 10% off your gross income, that is, before we give to anything else, to the government, to ourselves, is to say, this is God's. And to give that to the ministry and the mission of the whole church, all of us together. So where do we get that from? Well, if we go through the scriptures, we see in creation that God creates everything and declares it as good. And he creates people to see that it is created for his glory and from his grace. And so giving flows out of that. In Psalm 24.1, we see this. I think Ryan has it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Giving flows out of the conviction that everything that we have, guess what, is from God. So it's not yours. It's not mine. God's not saying, hey, would you share your stuff with me? That sure would be nice because I'm really needy. No, God doesn't need anything from us. But we need to realize as believers, what we have is not ours. It's His. It's His. So giving flows out of that conviction. And we see as, as sin enters into the world that the first sin of humanity is really rooted in the fact that they doubted the goodness of God and they didn't want to give God the place of God. And as this spirals on, we see in the, this first tragic act in Genesis chapter 4 of Cain and Abel, that at the root of that great sin where Cain's offering is rejected, but Abel's offering is accepted, is because Abel gave God of his first and his best, but Cain decided, I'll just kind of give what I think's all right. And God in his grace didn't say to Cain, well, let the judgment of fire and brimstone fall on you. And he's not saying to, that to us today. If you find yourself sort of in Cain's situation, I'm giving one. He said, Cain, just follow me and trust me. Everything will be all right. I'll take care of you. But instead of Cain deciding to trust in the goodness of God to provide for him, instead he became angry and bitter and acted in sin. What we see in this is that giving is worship and giving is to be of our first to God and our best to God. And as Israel is called out of Egypt to be God's people, this principle and pattern continues and it takes shape in the form of what we know of as a tithe. And a tithe is simply 10% off the top. 10% of your first and of your best to God. And many things were to be tithed, but we see this principle was an act of worship for God's people because at the heart of God's people was to show all the world that God is greater than everything. That was the purpose of Israel. They were to display His glory among the nations. And one way they would do this is they would give of their first and best to God. So that the ministry of the tabernacle where God's people would come to worship and so that the mission of God's people of showing His glory in the nations would be fulfilled. And so in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, we see 
this laid out clearly. Oh, we could look at many other verses. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So notice, this isn't just a part of Israel's temporary relationship with God in the Old Covenant. It's rooted back in creation of this belief that everything is God's. And we give out of worship and recognition that everything we have is His. And we gladly show Him that we love Him and trust Him. So they gave to Him first. And actually, they would give way more than even 10%. They would give up to 30-something percent for meeting all the needs of God's people and those whom they were on mission to. But this continued to be the pattern and the principle. So as God's people faded from this act of worship, because we're not the first ones that have a hard time dealing with this. They did from the start. We see that God did not come to them and say, hey, you're merely merely mismanaging your finances. No, he said, you're forgetting who I am as your God. So in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, this word comes from the Lord to the prophet Malachi. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. They say, how we robbed you? That's a little bit of an overstatement, isn't it, Malachi? And God's word says, in your tithes and contributions. And then in verse 10, he elaborates on this. Bring the full tithe. So they were were giving something, but they weren't showing they really trusted God as he had led them. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be found food in my house. Well, why does God need food in his house? This was providing for the priesthood. This was providing for the sacrifices. That is, for the, the execution of the ministry and mission of the people of God. And God says this, and thereby put me to the test. You who doubt that this is going to work out for your budget, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He's saying, I'll take care of you. So this is the pattern in creation through the fall and in Israel to give the first and best of our income to God. And the starting point for this is 10% off the top to the whole church. Well, you might be asking if you're like me, but does that continue in the New Testament, the New Covenant, or is that part of the law that we've been freed from? Well, we see Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, that he comes to fulfill the law. And fulfilling the law means bringing the Old Covenant law to its ultimate purposes and to its ultimate goal in him. And this brings us into a new relationship with God that is different than in the Old Testament time. But we see what happens in the New Covenant is Jesus never lowers the standard. He builds off the standard. So Jesus says, you've heard it said through Moses, don't murder. But I say to you, don't have anger in your heart towards your brother. Jesus said, you've heard it said to you in the Old Testament, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, Don't even lust after a woman in your heart. The new covenant, the New Testament relationship God's people have with him is not a lowering of the standard. It's a a raising. It is a taking it to the goal, to the heart of the issue. And when it comes to the issue of giving, Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 23, 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. What's that? These guys are so faithful, they're tithing their spice rack. Okay? But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But notice this. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. 
So Jesus says, it's not get rid of the old principles, it's build off of them. Make sure you faithfully fulfill them, but do it with a heart that loves people, not just to make yourself look good. Jesus doesn't lower this call, and He continues to expect His leaders to be provided for as they serve the people. In Matthew 10.10, we see Jesus sums it up like this. He sends His disciples out on their mission, these apostles, and He says, don't worry about taking any provisions for yourself. Because I want my people to take care for you. So no bag for your journey, no two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. This is just a building off of what we've seen in the Old Testament. And so following Jesus as a disciple, because that's what this is. It's a matter of discipleship. We just want to follow Jesus. Who cares what we have to say as pastors above all? We just want to follow Jesus. And so the church follows Jesus, and we see in the New Testament, and there's so many verses we could go to, but we just don't have time, that the early church is marked by faithful giving. Some who, like the rich young ruler, will sell everything to take care of their brothers and sisters. Some who will do whatever it takes to support the apostles in their ministry. And so we see Christians are still commanded to give regularly and proportionately to provide for the needs of sustaining the ministry and mission of the whole church. We see this in 1 Corinthians 16.12. 16.2, that is. Paul says, on the first day of every week, so Sunday, when you gather together, Each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Notice there's the proportionate thing. So that there will be no collecting when I come. So this is to be a regular practice in the life of the church. Part of this was to go to the ministry and the mission of reaching the poor and the lost with the gospel, but also part of it was to provide for those who would lead and develop leaders. And so we see in 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14, again, just a clear connection to a, a continued principle and pattern from the Old Testament people of God. Paul says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? And now he connects it to the life of the church. In the same way, the Lord commanded Jesus, likely referring back to the verse we read a minute ago, that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, we're not trying to get jets, you know, the Creflo dollar thing. But we unapologetically want to be freed up so that we can serve you and love you and see this vehicle continue to roll down the road on reaching the broken, burnout, and lost of Paragold. This is what it is all about. So without recommand a new command in the new covenant, thou shalt tithe, we see actually it going bigger and greater. And if we had time, we could read in 2 Corinthians where God tells His people, give cheerfully. Give sacrificially. Give faithfully. Give willingly. He says you really shouldn't be commanded to do this. Because Israel looked back on God's creation and God's exodus. And they gave in gratitude. But we look back on something greater. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who for our sakes, though he was rich, became poor. So that we might be rescued. So we want to respond. Just as the old covenant people of God. Just as the new covenant early church. To have the needs and ministry and mission built up. But it, it takes money to do that. And I, I hate talking about money. And Jared's going to mention in a minute why we don't do this very often. And we're very thankful. 
I know that within a church like ours that's organized around missional communities, so many of you are giving in ways that cannot be put on any kind of ledger. But what we want to do is say that we we have to continue to do that, but if we're going to, as a whole church, move this vehicle down the road, then we have to be committed to giving to the life of the whole church. And that seems to be the principle and pattern of the Scripture is to give that 10% off the top to the ministry and mission of the whole church. And this is how Paul says it to the Corinthians as he talks about giving, and he's so thankful for them just as we are for you guys. He says, as you excel in everything, this is 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Do I have that there, Ryan? I'm not sure. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, that's you guys. And in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. That is giving faithfully for the ministry and mission of God's church. And so Luke's going to come forward and talk about some specific ways you can start to do this. Thanks, Rusty. Um, so in light of what we've heard from Jared and the challenge that we face as a church, in light and more specifically, and what we've heard the Bible teaches about giving and what Jesus says about our finances, a few action steps for us as a family to move forward is some of us, really all of us probably need to be asking ourselves, if Jesus had my money, would he spend it the way I spend it? If Jesus had my bank account, would he spend it the way I'm spending it? And for a lot of us, That should make us sit really uneasy, probably. It's going to cause us to repent, or should cause us to repent. Because a lot of us, guys, are serving money rather than serving Jesus, and rather having our money serve us. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, 2, that you cannot serve two masters. You will either serve God, or you will serve money. Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, I'm not serving my money. Well, let me just give you some ways that even though you may be thinking that to show maybe you are serving your money, maybe you're hearing this talk and you're hearing all this and it's causing you to get a little squimish, causing your fist to clench a little tighter. Maybe you're thinking of excuses for why you can't give. Maybe you're thinking of reasons why you want give. Those are all signs that you really are worshiping money over Jesus, that money is your master rather than Jesus. And here's what Jesus says there in Matthew 6 too, and this is the scary part. If Jesus is not, if you're worshiping money, then then you are not worshiping Jesus. And if you're not worshiping Jesus, then he is not your Lord. And if he is not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. So for some of us, the place to start is going to be repent. To repent of serving money over serving Jesus. To repent of valuing our consumerism. To repent of valuing our consumption, our possessions over and above Jesus. For not believing as we sang earlier, Christ is all that I need. He's my reward. And instead believing that the stuff we can gain, the stuff we can get, the stuff that will be in a junkyard... 10, 15, 20, 100 years from now is much better than him. Another step that we can take is to get help in this area. We want to create a culture in Fellowship Bible Church where it's okay 
to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Okay? It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be jacked up. It's okay to need help. It's just not okay to stay there. And some of you are really struggling significantly in the area of finances. You live paycheck to paycheck. By the time you get paid, the money's already gone. And if you'd want anything extra, you're putting it on credit cards. And you need help there. And we want to help you. We want to provide resources and ways that we can come alongside you so that you can follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And that you can experience more joy than ever. And so a couple ways that we want to help you is uh, Kara Nolan is our pastoral assistant. And she's great at budgeting and finances. And she's offered to sit with anyone who would want help in this area. Or she can schedule an appointment with, one of you, with me, myself, or Rusty. And we would love to help you walk through budgeting. Guys, we want you to experience the joy that Jesus promises And we want to walk with you step by step in that area. And lastly, the last step that you can take is to just step out in faith. Trusting Jesus. Trusting Malachi 3.10. You bring me the tithe and I promise you just test me. And I will open up windows and doors of blessing on you. And you will not be without need. You see, the reality is delayed obedience is disobedience. And I've been reminded of that in my children this week. Come here, Andrew. No. Or Hannah's the worst. Hannah, get off the TV. We got to go. Three times late, the third time later. Oh, okay. See, delayed obedience is disobedience. And so some of you right now are, are possibly saying, well, if when I make more money, I'll start giving. Or when I get a new job, I'll start giving. Or when I get a promotion, I'll start giving. Or when I eliminate this debt or my student loan, then I can have money and I can start giving. Well, here's what Jesus says in Luke 16. If you are faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. If you rob with a little, you will rob with a lot. That's Jesus' words. And so what he's saying there is that the reality of, okay, I'll make more so I can start giving more, it didn't happen that way. If you're not giving with the little bit that you may have, you're not going to give with the whole bunch you're going to get, that you may get. And statistics prove that in the church. Statistics say that in a local church, in the body of, the, of, of a local church family, the people within that church who make $20,000 to $29,000, 8% of those people tithe regularly and faithfully. As more income goes up, the folks giving 50, 40 to 50%, I mean, excuse me, the folks that are making forty to $50,000 a year, the number drops from 8% to 4%. So the people who are making more money are giving less. And the folks that are making sixty to seventy-five thousand dollars a year, the percentage drops to two percent. So the reality that if I make more, then I can start giving, or when I get rid of my debt, then I'll start giving, that's just not biblical. That's not what the Bible says, and that's not what statistics prove. It's actually harder for you to give when you have more money. 
So be faithful with what you have now. Some of you can't give 10% right now. Start somewhere and let us work with you to get to 10%, to be faithful to what Jesus is calling us to do. Start creating a plan this week for how you can get there to be obedient. And remember, guys, if you need help, we love you. We are concerned for your joy. We want you to enjoy and experience Jesus like never before. Because I promise you guys, he is much, much better than anything you can hold on to in this world. He just is. And he wants to prove that to you as well. All right, isn't this fun? Having a blast? Um, how many of you woke up this morning and said, man, I really hope that three pastors get up and talk about money? Anybody? Nobody. All right. I know that this kind of talk can be a killjoy, but it really is the most loving thing that we can do for you as your pastors. Um, Jesus actually talked about money more than he did heaven and hell combined. And if we talked about money as much as Jesus did, do you realize we would actually do this once a month? Um, but we don't. And as your pastors, the reason we don't talk about money with you as much as Jesus did is, I'll just be honest, we just don't love you as much as Jesus did and does. Um, I know that I personally need to repent in front of each of you, and these pastors would say the same thing. I'm a sinner who at times I think what I want more than a church that's obedient to Jesus is just a big church because that'll make me feel a lot better about myself. Um, I look at it, some of you even as I'm talking, I'm thinking, they won't be back next week. And I don't like that. I want to be popular. Um, I find my identity in success. And a large church often in our culture equals success. And so I don't talk about this kind of stuff. And these guys would say the same thing. And I just want to say I'm sorry for that. Um, we're sorry that we don't care enough about you. We have not cared enough about you to know there are some areas where some of you are walking in disobedience. And we see the financial reports. We know who gives. We know who doesn't. And for us to be able to say, eh, you know. Though we know it's a sin, eh, they'll figure it out. And we just want to repent of that this morning before you. And we also want to encourage you from this point forward to repent as well. To repent of believing a lie. We want to encourage you to trust Jesus with all of your heart. We want you to, to encourage you to stop clenching your fist around money that is not yours. To completely surrender what you have to Jesus. And to believe that when you do, you will experience a joy that cannot be obtained by the things of this world. And as a result, we believe when this happens, we believe that we'll see more people freed from addictions. We'll see even more people, more families being healed. We'll see more disciples being made and more lives being changed as we are making these eternal investments in the lives of people who desperately need the real Jesus. I know there are some of you right now who honestly, it, you cannot tomorrow just say, all right, we're going to start cutting that 10% to the church. But the majority of us can. Majority of us can. I, I talk to enough people in here that I know we have some people that give 10% and they make $21,000 a year per household income. We have others that give 10% that make much more. We have some that don't give 10% who make very little. And we have some who make 
a whole lot, six digits, and still say, I don't have enough money to give. Um, as Luke said, it doesn't matter how, how little or how much you make. This is a matter of the heart. But some of you, I know, you cannot give. You don't have a job, right? You've lost your job or you've made some really tough decisions. And, and just honestly, for you to be able to turn on 10% tomorrow, it's not going to happen. But again, I do believe most of us can. But it's not going to happen unless we stop believing the American dream that says, I've got to build up for this dream house, or I've got to build up for this dream car, or these dream phones, or whatever else. I'm telling you guys, if that's where you are, you need a bigger dream. You need a much bigger vision for your life. And your kids, if you have children, your kids need to see you living on that vision. There really is an eternity that waits after this life. And for those who don't know the real Jesus, it means eternal torment, the Bible says. And for those who do know the real Jesus, it's an eternal joy that's going to beat anything that we could ever gather here on this earth. And my hope is that we will believe that and that our finances will reflect that. Maybe for some of you this morning, you hear this and you're still apathetic and you're like, ah, I don't want to, I'm not going to do it. Maybe for others of you in here, you feel guilty. And you're like, okay, I'm going to start giving. I know the pastors know what to give. I feel a little guilty. Obviously, you can't deny the scripture. I guess I'll just do it so God don't give me cancer or whatever else, you know, runs through your mind. Um, neither one of those are appropriate responses. Uh, we don't want you to leave here with no motivation, and we don't want you to leave here with a guilty motivation. We want you to leave here with a gospel motivation. We want the gospel to motivate you to give. In fact, that's the only thing that will change your heart and create a joy-filled, sacrificial giving. You see, when you go back to that story of the rich young ruler, what we need to be reminded is our example is not the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus. Our example is the richer man in that passage, Jesus Christ, who the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Do you know what the gospel reminds us of this morning? That Jesus Christ is not asking you to do anything that he has not already done for you. And only when you believe that he's done that for you times infinity will you out of joy say, you know what? I'm given. I'm given because he gave his entire life for me. Guys, Jesus Christ left a perfect place in heaven where he was worshipped perfectly by the angels, where there was no sin and there was no darkness and there was no pain and there was no cancer and everything was as it should be. And he had all of these treasures and he said, you know what? I'm going to embrace a life of simplicity. I'm going to even embrace poverty so that you can have salvation and satisfaction. And man, if we believe that, if we believe that, as a result, I believe that we'll be willing to give up our lives for him and know that when we do, we will experience more life and more freedom and more joy and more pleasure than anything else the world could offer. I'm going to ask this morning, what we'll do is that we go ahead and we stand together and we're going to reflect on this gospel through song and through communion. And what I want to encourage you to do is, if you're here this morning and you feel guilt, if you feel shame, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't want you to walk out if you're feeling that, and communion is a perfect example of that, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The good news is this morning is, is no matter if you've given thousands of dollars to the church or you've never given a penny to the church, if you are in Christ, you are loved. You're loved. Isn't that amazing? And when we receive that love and we receive that grace, you say, it's like, why would I want to possibly give to anywhere else than to this one who's loved me like he has? I want to ask that we pray, that we search our hearts. And so let's just 
go before the Lord at this time. And let's reflect on this teaching. I know this is heavy stuff, but I just ask you right now to ask your, the Father through the Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? Where is my heart? What is it a reflection of? My biggest concern is that there are some of you in here that are going to get caught up in a wave that resembles Christianity, but in the end you're going to realize it's not it at all. That you're going to follow the counterfeit Jesus straight into disappointment and destruction. Is Jesus worth everything to you? Father, I know there are some in here this morning who cannot answer that. Or some who know the answer but don't want to deal with it. Some in here that maybe they, they want to know you in that way, but they don't know you in that way right now. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will help them to see the real resurrected King Jesus. That they will experience right now his grace and his mercy. Father, I pray that you will help us to believe the gospel more that you will help us to enjoy you more, Jesus. And we will trust in your life, your death, and your resurrection. And as a result, as a result, we will see the things of this world grow strangely dim in light of your marvelous grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.